We come to this place for magic. We come to the Bladcast to laugh, to cry, occasionally be revolted, to pretend that you care. Because we need that, all of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the sound begins to prematurely dim. Preserving that sacred runtime that is always measured in full minutes. And we go somewhere we've never been before. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn. Together. From musician interviews and unique movie reactions to stories about getting tossed off the groove cruise and rescued by the Canadian CIA. Dazzling conversation on tiny earbuds that repeatedly fall out or a huge pair of Beats by Dre that never fit, but you spent 200 bucks on them, so you wear them anyway. Sound we all can feel. Somehow, Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our hosts feel like the best part of us, and stories feel perfect and powerful. If you feel like you're part of the episode, it's because here you are. The Blatcast. We make podcasts better. This is The Blatcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Yes, thank you, Farad Muhammad, for continuing another year as the voice of The Blatcast. And also, I realize now that I forgot to shout this out in our previous episode, Huge, huge thanks to our friend Katie Hampton for collaborating with me on our special new pre-show intro. Our homage to the wonderful Nicole Kidman. Welcome to the movies from AMC Theaters. I'm uh, actually very happy with how that turned out and looking forward to bringing that to you in the weeks ahead. And Maybe we've got some variations, so keep your ears open whenever you hear that. But bringing you new versions of that is something that's in the future, and we should focus on this week's show, which will also continue into next week's show. Uh, Earlier in the month, the Academy Award nominations were announced, and I thought it would be a great time to look back on the films of 2023, the year in movies for 2023, if you will. Now, if you listen to the Blackcast every week, and if you don't, um, well, probably says something about you more than it does about me. But uh, for people who keep up on every episode, you might remember that over the past year, we did a number of those special episodes that were reacting to some of the biggest movies, but also, you know, genre movies that are in the wheelhouse of the show. So we did episodes about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Shazam to Fury of the Gods, Dungeons and Dragons, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, The Machine, the Burt Kreischer film that uh, we did a special episode with uh, my buddy Cardiff Electric, The Potato, The Flash, Blue Beetle, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Marvels, 
Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And we just did a special on Maestro, which is available now on Netflix. Bradley Cooper's Oscar bait, as it were. Uh, so check out the special episode we just did, Blackcast 580. We had that up last week. That's with uh, Kaylee from Once Over with Kaylee, also known in some corners as Lucy Tightbox. Now, you also might remember we did a special standalone episode on Oppenheimer, which uh, I talked to uh, our buddies Will and Jeff from the Black Cast, of course. And uh, that also included our uh, legendary appearance from the great Tukey. So uh, you, if you want to hear some thoughts on Oppenheimer, I'm sure I'll touch on them again with Zach. But uh, the standalone Oppenheimer episode is uh, something to look for in the archives back here in past episodes. So the movies that I just rattled off, we might touch on those, but we're really not going to spend a lot of time going into those this week. Uh or next week, for that matter. Uh, there's a lot of great movies that I've seen this year. We'll dive into those. And joining me for that conversation, I will welcome back to the show Zach Schaefer, whom I've gotten to know through the Geekscape Network. Whereas you may or may not know, I host two shows, the Geekscape Book Club. And we did a great episode of the Geekscape Book Club for January, which had special guest long time comic book writer, legendary comic book writer, J.M. DeMatteis, whose name I had always said wrong, J.M. DeMatteis, who wrote Craven's Last Hunt, among a variety of things. But we had a great conversation with him over there. And uh, also I do our show Marvel Movie Talk, which uh, once upon a time was on the After Buzz Popcorn Talk Network. And a little bit more recently, we kept the show alive over on the Blackcast Network, the Blackcast YouTube channel, and now it's on Geekscape. But Zach's a little bit more of an overachiever than even I am because he hosts three podcasts, uh, all shows that uh, kind of take a look at uh, some of the movies from our past. So uh, I think the main show, the one that I was most aware of, was $2 Late Fee, a show with a great title that focuses on 80s movies. Territory Marks, which is a show that focuses on 80s wrestling. Not of huge interest to me, but I know plenty of people who probably love that show or would love that show because of its focus on 80s wrestling. And also a show called Podcasting After Dark, a deep dive into the world of cult horror and action films from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. So I'm very excited to have Zach on this show and talk about some of our favorite movies from 2023 and perhaps a few that were less than favorites. Uh, last week, we celebrated 11 years of the Black Cast, believe it or not. And uh, in order to commemorate that, I was thinking as I was putting together my notes for this episode, I would uh, take a page from our first episode, Black Cast number one, back last week in 2013. And that's to talk about the Academy Awards nominations, where there's no one with me, it's just me talking about them. 
Uh, so much as I did in 2013, which, yes, is 580 episodes ago, I'll touch on the 10 nominations for Best Picture. I'm not going to do what I did back then and read off a lot of the other big categories. But I'm going to run down the nominations for Best Picture in 2024. And I believe back in 2013, they only did five nominees. But uh, there are now 10. So... The movies that are nominees for Best Picture at the Academy Awards in 2024 uh, include a movie called American Fiction that uh, I still very much want to see, uh, Anatomy of a Fall that I believe my buddy Will Sterling really enjoyed, Barbie, The Holdovers, which I literally just watched the other day, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I mentioned we did a special episode on that, Maestro, our previous episode, Blackcast 580. Oppenheimer, covered that with Tukey. Past Lives, I actually don't remember what that is, so I got to check it out. Poor Things with Emma Stone, which I just saw uh, within the past week. So excited to talk a little bit about that. And a film called The Zone of Interest. So those are our 10 nominees. And regardless of my thoughts, I believe the winner for Best Picture of 2024 will be Oppenheimer. Um, if uh, it's it's on me, I would probably say that I just much preferred Killers of the Flower Moon, but I also haven't seen some of these movies yet. So that's where I'm at at the moment. But uh, we, as we always do, we will have our after the Academy Awards show after the actual telecast where I'm joined by our buddy Christian Toto of Hollywood and Toto. Uh, but that's uh, still a couple months from now, or I don't know, a month and a half. I think that's when the Oscars will be. But anyway, the point is that that'll be happening soon, but not now because for now, let's welcome back to the show. Zach Schaefer of $2 Late Fee, Territory Marks, and Podcasting After Dark. Thank you so much for uh, being on the show again. I really appreciate you coming back here on the Blackcast. Uh, big movie year. Lots to talk about. So many movies. And uh, Oscar nominations came out recently. We'll talk about some of those. But as I was looking back to the beginning of 2023, I wanted to talk about a movie that got a lot of uh, ink, as it were, virtual ink. Uh, in the moment, and uh, was largely forgotten. Of course, I'm talking about Cocaine Bear. And <laughs> that's a movie that knew how to market itself. And the only real issue, I, I'm going to assume you saw it, or did you not see Cocaine Bear? Uh, I did not see Cocaine that's Bear, okay. but I'm very familiar with it. Let me just, uh, the the gist of it, I, because I think it's a great starting point, Please. is it's marketed as like, oh my God, this movie's so crazy. And it's very self-aware at times. But the problem with it is like, oh, it's not crazy enough. Somewhere in the process, somebody thought they were making a good movie. Then somebody else realized, you know, we're not really. Let's have fun with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that that's that was kind of the letdown. But I mean, it was funny. There's a big grizzly bear that eats a ton of cocaine and mauls people in, in various ways. <laughs> um, you know, look, shock that the hype for cocaine bear didn't live up to the expectations. No, 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 no. That's fine. It didn't. It. Uh, I look. I'm always happy to see Carrie Russell, though. You know, I, and and there's there's times where I'm like, why are you in this movie? Right. And Ray Liotta, rest in peace. Uh, yeah, you know, it's I know. It's, always uh, it's, phenomenal. 
I believe it's his last film work. Uh, he was on that TV series uh, came out after that, but I believe that was his last film. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he's like, yeah, oh, that's funny. I do all that great work. And then my last movie is cooking there. <laughs> I know. Right. What? And Elizabeth Banks directed it. That was. Yeah. To me, too. I think that. that'll. Yeah. That kind of tells you a little bit about her. You know, it's like oh, she seems pretty cool. You know, I know she did those uh, pitch perfect movies, but uh, in general, uh, I'm okay That's with right. Her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. never saw, I never saw it. I, I it, it's definitely on the ever growing list of movies I need to see. Um, but yeah, I've heard the same kind of talk amongst people saying that it is one of those movies that it ended up, it was trying to be a good movie with a crazy title. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, that, that doesn't always work. It's definitely one of those movies that, uh, you know, whatever the 20, 30 year version of $2 late fee looking back on now. It's definitely one of those movies like, I can't believe this movie got made. You know, it's like one of those right. deals. But, uh, it, you know, it was fun. Um, what are some of the movies from the uh, earlier part of the year? You know, we went over a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, before you came on that uh, there are a number of movies that we did uh, standalone episodes on. Yes. So we can touch on any of them, like the Marvel movies, DC movies, stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, we won't spend as much time as we might otherwise, because, I mean, in the in the case of the Marvel ones, there's there's a good, you know, two and a half to three hours of conversation already out there on this feed. But right. what are uh, some of the things when you think looking back on this year, what what jumps out for you? Oh, man, it's it's interesting that obviously with the strike going on and uh, the lack of original new content that's been coming out, you know, and, and, and actors, writers, directors being unable to promote their stuff. I almost feel like it was a fairly lackluster year overall. Like you had sent me a list ahead of time of, of yeah. pretty much all the movies that came out. And I saw quite a few in the theater. Uh, Cause I still am one of those people that would rather see a movie in the theater than see it on streaming. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Nicole Kidman doesn't need to talk to you or I. We're already going. It's okay, Nicole. Thanks. Great to see you again. You know, you look wonderful, but yeah, we're already here. You know, you don't, you don't, I don't need know. to convince us. I don't know if it's your, if your kids do this too when you go to the movies, but whenever she turns and looks at the camera, my son Bodhi goes, She's looking at me again. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 son Felix got so that uh, whenever we drove by the AMC, uh, he would be like, "Daddy, they make movies better." I'm like, "Yeah, I know they do. They they definitely do." <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, well, yeah. I will say one movie that I loved that uh, I'm uh, part of me is like you know, I don't feel like it didn't get enough attention was the new mission impossible movie dead reckoning. I thought that yeah. was great. I thought that was fantastic. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week that, um, due to when my son was born in the summer of 2015, my, my first child, um, my wife and I spent years being one full mission impossible movie behind. So we didn't see whatever one that was. I don't know if that's rogue nation ghost protocol. The names don't really tell you about the story, Nothing. you know, like, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know what happens in that one, right. even when I'm a little kid. But uh, yeah, I don't know what the Rogue Nation or Ghost Protocol was. But uh, so I made the conscious effort. I'm like, no, we got to catch up. I want to see this new one, uh, you know, in the theater. And yeah, I thought it was great. And there's like the crazy stunt with the motorcycle in the trailer, but yeah. it turned out not to be the craziest stunt in the whole movie. So, no. and I I talk a lot about Tom Cruise, how to me, he has to be 
basically like the the best, <laughs> you know, amongst the top actors, at least, because we all know about his personal life. We all know what he's like. We've all seen him jumping up on the couch, talking to Oprah about Joey Potter. And I, I went to go see it with my buddy, Eric Connor, and we're literally making jokes about Scientology before we've seen it. And, uh, you know, we're like, oh, maybe uh, Ethan Hunt's going to be dispatched to try and find uh, David Miscavige's missing wife. You know, we're laughing. We're being fun. <laughs> Two minutes into the movie, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, this is Ethan Hunt. And he has that. Th it's the same thing with uh, with Maverick. You don't think about the guy. And a lot of times it's hard to separate, you know, the, the person, the man, the woman, you know, the Amber Heard from what you see up on the screen, you know. So, right. but... In any case, uh, I, I thought that one was great. And here's the thing. A lot of times when a movie comes out and it's like, you know, such and such part one, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I was very critical of uh, Cross the Spider-Verse because I knew there was going to be another one. You got to tell me that this movie's not going to have an ending. You know, I, I need somebody needed to give me the heads up and they did not. But yeah. Dead Reckoning part one, it ends in a way of like, yeah, there's a bunch more for him to address. Right. There was a clear like ending to this part of the story, which I, I think usually when you do your two movies back to back, you know, a couple of the examples that always the, the first that I was aware of, that's how it was produced was Back to the Future two and three. And I like Back to the Future three a lot more than a lot of people do. I think it's fun that it's a Western. I but, think it's good. I think it's way yeah, better than me, people. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and and it's like, you know, they set up things, you know, it's like, okay, in the first movie, you could never call Marty chicken, but you had to set it up in the second one, all right, whatever. Right. But yeah, like the second one has more of that feeling of like, oh yeah, just uh, kind of starts a lot of things going. And that's that's my my hot take I think I've shared with you before, is that because it was when I was a kid and as an adult, as I critically think about it, Return of the Jedi is always my favorite Star Wars movie because Same. it has an ending. You know, yep. Empire Strikes Back is phenomenal, but it's yep. like I remember sitting there in the theater. I'm like, wait, but, but what? Right. And, and I've tried to explain to my kids, it's like, it's three years, literally three years. Right. That's a of, long time. Of, of, you know, monthly comic books trying to fill in the gap that have all been decanonized, you know. <laughs> but do you so, think that people forget, or I think this generation doesn't understand that our generation did have to wait several years before yeah. another sequel came out? You know, right. and and now they're like, I gotta wait a year for the next Spider-Man movie. I totally I mean, get that, by the way. I I, I agree with I, you. I, I do that get up. that because I wish it had come out. You know, the Back to the Future two and three, they like came out like six months apart at least. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like what one? Uh, the first one was in the summer, and then the next one came out like uh, Christmas time, Thanksgiving time. But I mean, you talk to people about you know now a show that has the audacity to release weekly. You know, like what? What do you mean another week? You know, you, you mean I can't watch them all at once? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it is interesting. So what stood out for you about, you know, since we, we sort of got into this talking about Dead Reckoning, what is yeah. it about uh, Dead Reckoning that you think uh, stood out for you? I don't know. So much of my if I'm not talking about 80s movies on two dollar late fee and I'm not talking about 80s wrestling on territory marks, then I'm pretty <laughs> much watching all the movies that my son wants to see or he's interested in. So, you know, this year was filled with a lot of uh, movies that are that are accessible for a younger audience. And and his uh, his his grandparents, whenever they come and visit, they turn the TV on, they watch episodes, reruns of Law and Order 
or uh SWAT, like you know, like when we were kids, it was Murder She Wrote and Matlock. Yeah. Now it's like Law and Order and SWAT. Yeah, my um, uh, my my grandparents on my dad's side, they were they were it, it somehow they found the channel that Gunsmoke was on. You know, it was always, always on. Always. And my my grandmother started watching General Hospital when it premiered. So every it aired in, oh. uh, at three o'clock in New York. So either they came over in the morning and then they they had to leave by two, or they were staying for dinner. But if they were there in the house, it I, it didn't matter that I needed to see the second part of a two part Thundercats or GI Joe. Right, General Hospital was on the TV. <laughs> no, you got to find out what happens to Doctor Dashing or whatever the heck their names are. <laughs> right, but, exactly. uh, but but you know, my son was like, uh, the grandparents were in town. They put on the Mission Impossible movies that he had never seen, and next thing you know, we're binge what binge watching, uh, binge watching every single mission impossible movie. And my son was hooked in with the exception yeah. of one or two where he's like, Oh, that's sus, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah. That's the, uh, the number one uh, categorization from my eight year old is something is sus. And, and here's the thing. The second one, uh, it, John was phenomenal, but that is a very sus mission impossible movie. It's it, super it, sus. Yeah, yeah. To the sussy sus. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think there's another one where, uh and that that one personifies like mid to late 90s you know with the soundtrack the whole deal but this one like he was really excited to see this 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 film and uh he loved it which made me love it because i see him getting excited and it was right. a really fa it, it, the pacing was really good uh, the the characters are all established so you're just moving right into it there's no sort of over explanation of anything I loved it so much. I thought it just, it hit all the bases. I agree with you, Tom Cruise. Like he's one of those few actors who can weather, you know, being in the tabloids or whatever. And people still flock to his movies. Like they don't care. Yeah. No one cares about his whatever background um, because he puts on a great performance and he's, he's just so good at what he does. I don't think there's anybody like him anymore. And I think now watching him on screen, I, I, I watch him and go, Oh, there's going to come a time when he's just not going to be there anymore. And that's a bummer. Yeah. Like who's going to take the reins from, I don't know. But in this meantime, I, we watched it and it, even though we knew there was a sequel coming and then this was going yeah. to end when it did end, I was still like, Oh, but come on, five more minutes, five more minutes, <laughs> just please. five more minutes. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the movie that uh, they talked a lot about, you know, uh, from no. the summer. And, you know, obviously when you're covering film, you know, the, there was a lot of articles written about how much over budget it went, but I think yeah. that, uh, the, that is sort of dishonest in the sense because it was filmed in the height of COVID. They had to right. stop down multiple times and they paid everyone, you know, and they, they had like the strictest protocols, you know, that was one of those too about, you know, the, the world of difference between, the clip of Christian Bale that was leaked from a set like 10, 12 years ago versus the clip of Tom Cruise. Most people heard him. He's like, yeah, he's right. You know, right. he's keeping the, you know, it's like this movie is keeping all these people employed. It's proving that the industry can work even, you know, in the incredibly uncertain times was the phrase that we heard a lot, you know, right. at that time. And uh, I think that it was, um, you know, people are just like, well, yeah. And no wonder that movie went over, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I don't even know exactly when I assume that the second part comes out next summer. If if it's the summer, you know, I mean, this summer coming up, 
if it's yeah. summer 2025, I'm like, come on, what'd you do that to me for? What'd you make me wait I, so long? I know. I, you know, obviously we, the, we, we hear about movies that get pushed forward or, or yeah. held back. And, and I hope this is not one of those cases. It is a trip to think about. It's crazy to think about how that time that this movie was being made, uh, like it's just an afterthought for so many people now. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think about a movie like Shang-Chi that also was under the same scrutiny and, and restrictions and how much I love that movie. And no one really talks about that movie when they talk yeah. about, you know, good Marvel movies. Um, but I think this mission impossible is one of the better installments. I feel like the last two or three were really, really solid. Uh, yeah. But still, I don't think any of them hold a candle to number one, number one still for me. And then Bodie too. He's like, I, I love that movie. I'm like, well, what's your favorite part? He's like the part where the guy goes up the elevator and I'm like Emilio Estevez getting killed. He goes, yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah, man. The coach from mighty ducks had it coming. And, and of course, I mean, you know, look, it's a 27, 28 year old movie at this point, but dude, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought it, yeah, I know exactly. And uh, you know, to think that uh, Brian De Palma initially wanted the cast of the TV show to be that opening sequence and then right. killed them all off, which would have been fascinating. But at the same time, I, I think Martin Lando was like, you want me to do what? No. Right. You know, I'm like right. in my seventies, I can't, I love the idea, but uh, um, that, yeah, that was good. And you know, I mean, that's the tough thing too, you know, summer movie season, people will talk about the great movies, the big movies, and then they'll also talk, oh, look what didn't do as well as it was supposed to. What a, you know, what right. a disaster, you know, this or that was. And, uh, you know, the, the movies that were supposed to be disasters, I, I, I liked and I'm in the minority in some cases. You know, we talked about how to me the Flash movie was fun. I know I'm in a minority that I enjoyed the Marvels. I took my kids to see it and I was just like, I don't know, there's a bunch of kitty cats. It's fun. You know, you're overthinking it when you want stuff from these movies. Uh, is is there something that you were excited for in 2023 and you were like, all right, I, I, I really wanted to love this and I was a little let down, whether it's a you know part of a franchise or just something that came out that you were like, oh, that one was a little bit of a bummer. Well, I, yeah, it's interesting because I, I'll, I'll, I'll say it like this. I was excited for TMNT, was not let down for TMNT. I was excited for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, wasn't disappointed when I first saw it, but upon reflecting on it, upon yeah. watching it again, I was not as good as I thought it was initially thought it would be. Sure. Yeah. Um, Ninja Turtles is a, is a good one because I think that there was definitely, you know, there was a perception from the, the trailer and I knew the animation style we were going to get, but it was definitely, you know, to me, it was like, oh yeah, that's, that's what I want. You know, if right. you're going to do an animated Ninja Turtle movie, it can definitely be like that, you know, and uh, it's you don't have to continue any prior continuity. You know, I don't need that from the Ninja Turtles. I don't need that from the Transformers either. Sorry, everybody. You know, it's just like, right. can you tell a good Yeah, That's why I, I still say that of the live action Transformers movie, I think the best one was Bumblebee because it was like the least Transformery. Yeah. Know? And I will I will tell you this, too. I guess that is the one I was mostly disappointed with because um I love, I agree with you on Bumblebee. I thought that Bumblebee pretty much hit all the notes I expected. Yeah. Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Um, that's interesting. And I'm glad you brought it up. The first half of it, I enjoyed where yeah. there was an influx of 
mid nineties hip hop music. And then suddenly the music stops and the score kicks in for the rest of the movie. And you don't hear any nineties music, the rest of the movie. And I'm like, wait, that just doesn't feel right. And I think that really ruined it for me. Yeah. It soured it. And I'm like, yeah, this tracks with yeah, the transformer franchise. Why, and why then, did the, yeah. Why did they fire the music supervisor before act three was done? You know, and, sorry. Finish yeah. your thought, though. No. And, and also to, to piggyback on that, uh, why allegedly did they not pay Vince DiCola rights to use his Unicron theme in the score? Because I interviewed Vince DiCola, who did the original score for Transformers, the movie. Right. But in my opinion, the only really good Transformers movie. I, I was 80s. about to say basically the same thing. That is, <laughs> you, you know, no, you know, you can enjoy things in some of the other Transformers movie, but far and away, the best Transformers movie is Transformers, the movie parentheses yes. 1986 you know <laughs> and we will cover that movie on our on our uh on our podcast later this year but i'll uh, talk uh, about how horrifying it was to see it as a 10 year old and watch like wait, wait all my friends are getting murdered in this movie <laughs> i know they literally kill off you know thankfully they didn't do that in gi joe the movie but um yeah. but vince DiCola had i brought up that the fact that his unicron theme is used in the theatrical release and he goes it's funny you say that because i don't think i've seen a dime from that movie and oh, i looked yeah. over at his agent and his agent was like or his manager is like nodding his head like yeah we're gonna look into that so <laughs> we've uh, got to look into that oh that's i funny. think it's actually in the interview when he brings that up uh but but uh, what was cool about interviewing vince DiCola was he played me pieces from uh, an unused transformers video game that was coming out from hasbro oh, wow. I believe Hasbro and he did a whole score for it and he played that score live for me in the studio. Uh, and then you hear that and you're like, that should be the music they play in the Transformers movies. Not what we have today. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't realize when we talked about rise of the beasts, which I think has come up on, on this show before, just in passing um, my, I, my son, like the day it came out is, you know, he's talking about like, Hey, Transformers Rise of the Beast comes out today. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, is that a movie you want to see? He's like, yeah, he doesn't watch Transformers. He doesn't have Transformers toys, but he was interested in the beasts because he, in, he enjoys animals and okay. you know, he yeah. got a subscription to National Geographic kids. And I'm like, great. And, um, I think he really enjoyed the first two acts. And uh, for our visual audience, I'm going to show a picture of him during the third act. <laughs> uh, just passed out. That is asleep. amazing. Yeah. And that is amazing. Uh, he's like snoring. And I'm like, it's Accurate. too bad because it's kind of the most exciting part of the movie. But they lost him kind of in the middle. I think he was all in in the beginning. I thought, uh, you know, that I thought it told a good story. But something about it. You're right. It just kind of falls apart. But that third act is where the most exciting things are happening. But I don't I don't know what it is. It, it does. It kind of missed some mark. And the thing about those Transformers movies, they're always making another one. It doesn't matter how badly received it is. Right. It doesn't matter who's available in the cast and who isn't. I thought the setting up G.I. Joe and the post credit scene just felt weird and tacked on, you know? Yep. Uh, and but, it, uh, what, and I, I was going to say, well, I think where they fail <laughs> is is where gobots equally failed uh and i think these the people who create these movies maybe are bigger fans of gobots than they are of transformers because the gobots cartoon back in the day made more of an emphasis on the humans in right. the sh in the show versus the bots versus the transformer cartoon that obviously made the robots the emphasis yeah this was the same formula you see like it they focus in on the the, the human characters yeah and I, like i get it look 
I, again, I think the first two thirds were solid or the first two, uh, third and a half, <laughs> but then yeah, it's like the first 45 to 50 minutes is, is you know, it's, it's like, yeah, yeah it's like out. if you were to break it up into episodes, episode one of rise of the beast, <laughs> right. good episode two of rise of the beast. Not as good. Yeah. Well, and then, and then, so also to, to go back to what you're saying earlier about TMNT, I think why that surprised me so much was because I had kind of zero expectations going in with that. I'm like, this is going to be a solid movie. Then my son said, can we see that again? And then we we went to in a screening at the Arrow here in Santa Monica with the director. And I didn't know the director wrote a bunch of episodes of Gravity Falls. And he also did Mitchell's versus Machines. And I'm like, that's why we like this movie so much, because it has heart. I think Rise of the Machines was lacking you know, the matrix, uh, (laughs) that kind of heart that it, that, you know, it makes sense that your son passed out after the the first half of the movie. Yeah. It was also my mistake. I picked him up from school and we went on a Friday afternoon. So, you know, that the, the, the deck was a little bit stacked (laughs) against him, but I don't know, you know, don't blame school, blame the movie. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, Saturday afternoon, look, the popcorn was long gone. I, 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 you know, you're not getting a refill on that icy, you know, so it's right. just, okay. you know, yeah. so I think that that, that probably had something to do with it, but you're right. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, like, it's fun. It's one of those things. So it's like, it's fun to see the characters on the big screen. Now, I didn't grow up with beast wars. I'm strictly generation one through yeah. like the period right after the movie. Like there's a season or two of the, the series, the syndicated series that's set in the time after the movie. Right. And basically right after that series ends, I know that there were other series and I know there were things. And I remember I'd come across Beast Wars and I just I don't know. I wasn't a fan of the animation style. It made it hard for me to wrap my head around it. But, yeah, you know, people that I, I talk to on my show are, you know, in some cases, 10, 15 younger years younger than me. And they love that show. So uh, I can see it. But I liked watching the characters interact and. It's funny because my son wanted to see the animals and he got to see a little bit of them, but he really, he slept through most of the animal stuff, you know? Yeah. That's when the animals take off in the, 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 the third act of the movie. And I agree with you. Like I, I think, uh, you know, on, on $2 late fee, we say nostalgia is one hell of a drug. And I think in the beast yeah. wars case, you've got all these younger people younger than us anyways, who grew up on that and know that yeah. is like their version of transformers. So they go, Oh, it's the best. And then you go back and go, Eh, the animation's not any better than that reboot show. And that was pretty awful too. So, eh, you know, yeah, no. And it's a good point because it's like, look to say like, Oh, I'm disappointed in a transformers movie. That's what I get for going to the new transformers movie, you know, especially after like the one, what I think it's the fourth one where Optimus prime is riding Grimlock. And I'm like, man, that shot is all I wanted from the movie. And it's a good thing because the rest of it was garbage. I think that's yeah. the fourth. That could even be the fifth one, though. I I, I honestly don't know off the top was of it my Mark, head. Was, was Mark Wahlberg in it? Was he doing 500 push-ups? What's going <laughs> oh, yeah, on? I forgot, I forgot about how we we tried to reinvigorate the brand with uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a... What's it's wrong a, with the Transformer? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Optimus Prime, say hello to your mother for me, you know. But uh, yeah, and I I just uh, did uh, enough uh, production work uh, just now where I can actually show people a clearer image in the video version of the podcast. You really want to see my son passed out. If you really want to know what Act 3 of the Transformers Amazing. Beast Wars is like, 
and uh yeah that's that, that's really it well first of all your uh, son is adorable and second of oh, all thank you. uh he's got a rad spider-man t-shirt on yeah and third that's pretty accurate with that movie and uh a lot of movies that came out this year i feel like a lot of movies that came out this year that were quote-unquote big blockbusters were like a half hour too long or, or 15 minutes too long dustin mm -hmm. on two dollar lefty always is complaining that movies are way too long yeah i with this, a lot of these they were i don't think ghost protocol or whatever dead reckoning and whatever yeah. dead, dead reckoning, reckoning part one I, yeah but you're right i and look you have to see the runtime and I don't know. Scorsese thinks he needs to make a three hour, 25 minute movie. And we did a whole episode on killers of the flower moon, which I, I quite enjoyed. However, I also, I'm like, I, I, it's not, you know, look, there's a lot of movies where you're like, you cut this sequence, you take these four parts, you make them a little shorter and then right. you have a better runtime. That's not a movie where I'm like, all right, here's what I know needs to come out, but it's not my job. You know? <laughs> you know yeah. It's I, his I, job. I, it's his job, and and I think there's someone who's got to, you know, rein in. I, I will say the opposite. I felt about with a movie like The Iron Claw that came out because yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that because I haven't seen The Iron Claw, but in okay. the, the, you know, I'm starting to hear a lot about it, especially because uh, uh, once the nominations came out. So uh, what was what were you going to say about Iron Claw? Well, I think that's a movie that a could have been a lot longer. B probably would have been better as a television series, a long form TV series because sure. of all of the multiple perspectives and stories that, that were not in it. Um, yeah. I love the iron claw. I love it for, but I, I know that story very well. Right. And, and, and obviously you talked about how you have the show territory marks and I'm going to say the two people I've heard you, I know, uh, and then the other I hear on the radio, the who I hear the most talk about how great that movie was, are you and Sam Roberts, who does a lot of work for WWE, and oh, yeah. uh, you know he's on Sirius. Um, so I think if you have the built-in knowledge, or just are a wrestling fan, or you know even were, you know I was very casually into wrestling when my brother was, you know like okay. the uh, like Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, the animated show. I probably saw more of that than actual WWF matches. I love uh, that show. I love yeah, that show. Great. Good. Yeah. Well, and and I I thought you were gonna say uh, me speaking highly of it and Adele because Adele at one of her concerts is like, I just saw the greatest movie. I just want to tell you, go see Iron Claw. Right. Cause she, apparently she's a big wrestling fan. I love that Adele liked it. That's uh, yeah, that's me too. Cool. And, and it's, and it doesn't surprise me. I think this is going to be the week, one of the weakest uh, Academy award years, as far as the nominees are concerned, because Iron Claw got zero nominations. You can't tell me. Uh, I mean, look, my, mixed feelings about the Academy Awards goes back to the early, the mid nineties when, um, Pulp Fiction lost win to Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And, I, I, I literally was having this conversation with my wife yesterday about that was the moment where I go like, Oh, this isn't about what's actually the best. Forrest Gump's a phenomenal movie. Me too. But when Pulp Fiction didn't win, I'm like, Oh, why did I let myself get so excited about this? You know, it's Same. like it was that was the bulb. That's the bulb that went, this whole thing is not what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. you know, so I watched Iron Claw and I'm like, Zach Efron is phenomenal in this movie. He first of all, body transformation. We always talk about how emaciated or overweight people get, but this guy got so cut, like 
bigger than Hugh Jackman uh, for this movie. He looks like He-Man with his bowl cut. Like when people initially were like, Who, what's Zac Efron doing with this wig on? Like the He-Man movie. Um, but would, and also would have been amazing, but no. Would, would have been and hopefully, who knows? And uh, Holt McElney or McElney, I think is his name. Yeah, he plays Fritz von Erich, the patriarch of the film. Uh, he That guy, the fact that that guy is like one of those under the one of the most underrated actors of our generation i think i think he's just a s- solid in everything from mind hunter all the way back to creep show too if you think about it yeah so uh, iron claw it's a true story and it's uh not a happy story so i guess that works uh, against it for some people but uh do you think it's as simple as Oh, it's a wrestling movie. People don't take it seriously, no matter how good it is. I mean, obviously, Mickey Rourke, the wrestler, you know, had a lot of critical acclaim, but it was, you know, I I don't know this movie, but I feel like you can't compare the two of them just because they're about wrestling, you know? Yeah, I think that one took the approach of wrestling as a backdrop, uh, like as a supporting character and was more about his relationship with his daughter and himself, you know, kind of self-discovery in his later years of life. This one is purely focused on a wrestling family. Um, I think a couple things that hurt it was one, A24 like didn't roll out promotion on it until like a, maybe a couple weeks before it actually came out. And, and let me I just th- uh, just in that sense, let me interject. Uh, did it come out at the point where like like Zac Efron couldn't do press for it, or was I, it after the strike was over, the SAG strike? I, I think it was. It ended. I think the strike ended right before. Right, either right before yeah. the strike ended or right after. Um, cause, cause I, I've joked on a few of my shows. I know that the strike ended in early November because uh, I was like, man, Bob Iger was like, Hey man, we got to get Brie Larson on Kimmel to promote the Marvels. Can we wrap this thing up? <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Pretty. I know. And I'm there's it's like pretty much to the day. That. That's what happened, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I think there's some truth in that, but, uh, but no, I think, I think also a 24, a 24 has actually done a really cool job of like supporting the film. But sure. I think I think you have a huge uh, I think wrestling to this day is still considered, you know, a redheaded stepchild, so to speak, of this industry where like people don't they like still kind of poo poo on it, you know, and, right. and don't take it seriously. Um, this film, I think, would change a lot of people's minds. It is a tragic story. Uh, you know, several members of his family die and a lot of them through suicide. So that's not a surprise. It's It's been widely talked about. Um, but I so think you didn't, what, bring, you didn't bring your son to see it with you. <laughs> I know. I know. Cause he's so familiar with the, uh, who the Von Erics are. Cause we watch a lot of the Von Erich matches on. Sure. Uh, and actually when he was like three, I was showing him old school wrestling matches, but, um, I think, yeah, like depressing movies come out all the time, right? We, we of course, yeah. tons, but, but I think this movie is, uh, uplifting in a sense of like, how do you overcome tragedy? Because it's a true story. And the other thing I think that hurt it was someone said this on a, on a, you know, a Facebook group or whatever that I'm a part of. If they had simply put a disclaimer in the beginning of this movie saying based on true stories, it would have changed a lot of people's perspectives because there's so much that's altered from what really happened all the way down to one uh, member of the family being omitted from the movie. And you're oh, like, wow. This guy, but this kid was a big part of the family. They don't even talk about it. And 
Scott, Sean Durkin, the director, Paul uh, London and I interviewed him for Territory Marks and he kind of talked about that. But still, I think having a disclaimer for movies, you know, I talked about this on an, on another show, um, Fargo, the television series, which I yeah. love, yeah. throws up on there all the time. This is this is a true story. Uh, yeah. The only thing that's been changed or whatever. Um None of it's true, though. Everything it's never is, true. The movie wasn't even true. true. That that no. they, the movie, the Coen Brothers movie in '96 says it's a true story. It's like it's not a true story, you know. But at all, you put that up there, and you're like, oh, okay, tell me more. Yeah, yeah, right. And the, and the showrunner of Fargo, he's like, well, it's satire, and you know, and I'm like, well, yeah, but you're kind of messing with people mentally because I yeah. go online, I'm like, is this really happen? I think with Iron Claw, if they had simply just said this is based on true events you know yeah it would have well look and and for, a movie favorable. being depressing a lot of times or sad in any way talking about tragedy a lot of times that that helps you like when the nominations right. come out and i'm trying to figure out some of these movies that i literally had never heard of so i look up zone of interest and i'm like oh it's a holocaust movie of course it's nominated i'm sure it's incredibly well done i am not going to vow on this show that i'm definitely going to see it because Right. I mean, that's a that's a that's that takes a lot out of you. You know, I mean, for as phenomenal as Schindler's List is, I have seen it once. You know, I I can't imagine watching it again. You know, were you in I, school I, when you watched it or did you go? No, to I mean, I no, I went I went to go see it in the theater because okay. uh, I'm old. Uh, you know, <laughs> but I yeah. So I, I you know, I, I I think that it just it I guess it just depends. And it's a double edged sword because if your movie is too serious in one way, or if it's too light, people don't take it seriously necessarily. Right. And uh, I think that's a good transition to talk about the Barbie movie. Now ah. I'm going to say my thoughts on the Barbie movie. Did you get a chance to see it? I, I don't know if you saw it. We can still talk about it even if you didn't. So it's fine. Uh, wait, no, I, so this will be people going, what? No, I didn't see Barbie either. Well, you don't have a six-year-old girl in your house who <laughs> no. every time we drove, because where we live in Burbank, we always drive by the Warner Brothers lot. The water tower there was painted Barbie pink for months. There were huge ads for it. And she's like, I really want to see Barbie. And there's a lot of it that's over my daughter's head, but it's stuff that I would want to be over her head. And it is fun. There's things that she thought were really fun about it. I think it's phenomenally well done. I think that there was that reaction when the nominations came out and it was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they didn't recognize Barbie. I yeah. thought it didn't get nominated for best picture. I'm like, wow, there's 10 nominees and Barbie isn't one of them. And then I checked the list. Oh wait, Barbie is nominated for best picture. I'm like, all right, that's why you expanded to 10 because in the old days, if there were only five and then it's like, why is Greta Gerwig not nominated for best director? And I'm like, Okay, there's there's plenty of jokes about it. The fact that Margot Robbie, Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated, but Ryan Gosling did. It's like that's literally the plot of the movie, you know. So yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. a funny point, and it's I, I'm not saying that she didn't do a great job directing it. I just feel like the people who vote on it perhaps felt like you know something like Zone of Interest required more, and I think if Greta Gerwig did get nominated. I don't think anybody's talking about Margot Robbie not being nominated. No, I know you didn't see it. She's good in it, but it's not like, wow, Margot Robbie really brought something to this that I wasn't expecting. I think she's great. I 
I can't think of a thing. I'm sure she's been in bad stuff. I haven't seen her be bad in things. She's phenomenal, phenomenal. And once upon a time in Hollywood, right up Agreed. until uh, Tarantino told her to take her shoes off. And then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on, come just, on, just put them down. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, she's great in that, you know, and, and I like her and she's good in this. And this is a good movie. But I'm like, I don't know. People don't feel it did get not. You know, I'm like, it's not one of the 10 best movies of the year. You know, right. I mean, for me, it's not for people who it was. Sure, you can be upset, but I don't know. We go right back to what we said. Pulp Fiction not winning Best Picture. It's because, you know, it's not about what you liked. It's about no. what people who vote like, you know. No, and, and you hit the nail on the head, too, saying 10 movies are nominated for Best Picture this year. That's like saying everybody gets a trophy, you know. Uh, there will be yeah. one like big trophy, but don't worry. Don't worry, everybody. Don't worry, kids. Everybody's going to get a prize for participating. And I'm like 10 movies. That's a lot. Of so I think, too, and you know, we're older. We've been through the cycles of these things where sure. stuff that we and I think we're both, uh, you know, film literate and film aware. And 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 I think we've seen so many movies that we considered amazing, get zero credit yeah. and for it to come up yet again for us, we're like, you and I were like, well, it doesn't surprise us, but then there's always a new audience, a new like generation that goes, that's likes to be shocked. Like, wait, what? Yeah, no, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. That's like, it's like, well now I'm invested in this. So now it's my turn to be outraged, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I was literally just messaging somebody uh, earlier today about how, uh, a movie that I feel like if people don't understand how funny it is, is train spotting. I'm like, you know, it's a comedy. They're like, Oh, but there's the baby on the ceiling and the toilet scene. I'm like, well, the toilet scene is actually kind of funny. And uh, the baby scene is super creepy, but it's still a funny movie. And yeah. I, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like, I said something, <laughs> it's like I said, a Holocaust movie is a comedy, you know, I'm like, no, 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 really it is. And yeah, people just, I don't know. They just don't see things in the same way. Um, I wanted to actually bring up the list of oh, cool. uh, the best picture nominees uh, being as high tech as I possibly can be. Um, so by the time the Oscars happen, I'm going to have seen American fiction. My wife's in the writer's guild. We have a screener for it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, I am very interested in seeing that uh, anatomy of a fall is one of those like, wait, what's that about? Uh, and I looked it up and I know people love it. Uh, Barbie, we just talked about the holdovers I watched last night so that we could talk as, about as part of this show. Okay. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, we mentioned. Maestro, which is available now on Netflix. And uh, by the way, the holdovers is on Peacock for anyone who has that. Which, oh, great. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, very easy to watch in your home. Uh, Maestro on Netflix. We our, our previous episode was all about Maestro. Uh, Oppenheimer. Past Lives, Poor Things, which I saw just the other night, and Zone of Interest. So of these movies, what have you seen, Zach? <laughs> Zero. And, I'm, and I'll tell you why. So I... Uh, past lives was one of those uh i love that people were comparing it to frankenhooker online they're like no no uh poor things is what there is what they're comparing Sorry. to frankenhooker yes yeah, not past lives which which by the way on on this very show uh i we had on a comedian zach amico who does a show called uh midnight spook show where he watches like i mean like I thought I knew bad movies, but he's like talking about, you know, like a priest who gets turned into a dog at any you know, literally the craziest movies you can't believe ever got made. And I we extensively talked about Frank and Hooker and uh, 
it, it, you know, it, 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 this is a very similar poor things is a very similar plot to Frankenhooker, at least, you know, as you're like writing out, like describe what it's about. Right. Very different in the execution, but uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Cause, cause honestly guys, and I don't care when anyone says, because I literally just saw Frankenhooker this past October here in the arrow, the arrow theater here in Santa Monica, which I said earlier, they do a uh, all night horror thon that starts at seven o'clock at night. And then it goes till 7 AM in the morning. And so they show like eight horror films and they showed Frankenhooker. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, and well, let me Paul, ask because your show's called $2 late fee, obviously referring to video stores. Were you like me introduced to the concept of Frankenhooker because there was the oversized box on the shelf. Yes. Where if you pushed it. The Frankenhooker would say, want a date? Want a date? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I knew wow. about it first. Yeah, dude, that's why you need to be on our show. Uh, offline, Christian and I were like, at some point, we're gonna have we're gonna talk about Adventures of Ford Fairlane, yeah. but um, which yeah, by the way, I'm, have to have I'm literally I'm literally looking at the the cassette soundtrack for that in my office right now. I have it well, on the I, shelf. I don't know if you uh, play if your son plays Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. But um, there's a there's a town there called Grudo Town. So okay. Bodie and I will will I'll joke with him and start going Grudo Town, Grudo Town, all across the USA <laughs> instead of booty time. Booty time. Uh, the great Ed O'Neill, by the way, uh, underappreciated in Fort the Adventures of Fort Fairlane. Um, make what was the point you were going to make about Frankenhooker? I'm sorry, I, I, no, no, I, I scared I, us down that road. And I was going to say really quick, if uh, we might get David Patrick Kelly back on our show uh, to talk about Adventures of Ford Fairlane. So if we do, we'll cover that later on this year. Um, I, my point with Frankenhooker was that it, it's trash. That movie is complete hot garbage. It is Correct. so bad. And I think there's some oftentimes people are like, oh, I talk about this on another podcast I do called Podcasting After Dark. Just because a movie uh, people... Uh, has a strong audience of people saying it's oh it's so it's so wild so crazy it doesn't mean it's good you no know? yeah like, that's kind of what we were saying when we started about about cocaine bear just because yeah. they tried to make it wild and crazy doesn't mean that it's good and i remember re-watching frankenhooker a few years ago i also did it you know when my my friend dan was a guest on my podcast like years ago like in a studio in new york it was like that era of podcasting uh and he came into the city and we recorded and we talked about it and it's like it's you know there was the, the guy who had like all the you know knew everything about all the horror movies you know and he was like my my friend who knew everything and we talked a lot about it so that was a few years ago and i rewatched it and i remember the best thing about it was getting to see new york in the late 80s and you know and i was oh. like oh yeah look at look at how terrible it is <laughs> So. Yeah, that was one of the best things. I, I too, I, I'm a huge fan of exploitation, um, you know, grindhouse type movies. There's a movie theater in Los Angeles called New Beverly Cinema that's owned sure. by Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino I, owns it now. Yeah. Yeah. Before he did, um, they used to have grindhouse nights every Tuesday night. And there's this guy, Eric Caden, who owned a store called Hollywood Book and Poster Company on Hollywood Boulevard. It's no longer, I think it, they moved it to Burbank. But um, uh, he would do these grindhouse nights and show these like sleazy 35 millimeter prints of like great, just, and when I say great, like just trashy type movies that you've never heard of. And I think that's where my love uh, one night, Rudy Ray Moore showed up who plays Dolomite, Dolomite the actual yeah. Rudy Ray. Moore, and nice. he shook my hand and he was in a wheelchair and, yeah. uh, and it, but went on to tell, do a 20 minute stand up set in, uh, oh, in great. front of the theater with everybody. It was amazing. But, um, yeah, poor things. I heard about it being there similar to Frankenhooker. 
and it made me want to go see it. However, I, I want to uh, rough segue to the holdovers with Paul Giamatti because sure. I know he's getting a lot of press. And I want to quickly shout out a movie he did many years ago called John Dies at the End. Um, it's directed by Don Coscarelli, who did Phantasm, Bubba Hotep. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He's he's a. I think Don Coscarelli is one of the few true indie filmmakers, successful indie filmmakers who has pretty much only done indie movies. Um, he did a movie called survival quest, which was a pretty decent movie with Lance Henriksen back in the day. Anyways, John died. Oh, he did the Beastmaster. That's probably his biggest, um, well-known movie besides Bubba the, uh, the Mark Singer classic, Mark Singer classic, uh, yeah. gar. Right. And, yeah. uh, uh, but John dies at the end. Paul Giamatti is phenomenal in that. Uh, Clancy Brown is also in that film and it's, it's a, that is a true cult movie one of the newer cult movies to come out and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully Paul's like lesser known films will get more attention because he's getting so much attention well, right now. I, I always need to call out his uh, performance as uh, pig vomit in Howard Stern's private parts movie. I was, yeah. I wanted, Agreed. you know, it's so funny. We're like both talking about all the shows that we do. And I think, uh, I think you might be the only person I know who does more podcasts than I do just the sheer <laughs> number of different shows, but uh, a, a show that I do called who are these broadcasters? We had uh, Jackie, the joke man, Martling on and, and in prepping oh, nice. for that, I was watching, you know, his, his acting reel. And I was reminded, I was saw Paul Giamatti in there and I'm like, Oh my God, he's so great. You know, in, I mean, he's always great, but he's great in that movie. And he's really good in the holdovers. As I said, it's on Peacock and it's it's one of those movies where like the studio uses like the the old versions of their logo and they put up the old, you know, restricted by the MPAA things. You know, they, they give it that look. It's set in like 1970. So they give it that look and that oh, feel. Cool. And it's very much a story that you feel like, oh, this story could have been a movie in 1970. You know, this is a movie that very well, you know, Alexander Payne's uh, phenomenal. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And he's very good in it as a guy who on the surface is incredibly unlikable, you know, and uh, I, I can I can see why he has gotten the accolades for that that he has. Um, but just to tie tidy up on poor things, the uh, director is Yorgos Lanthimos. And uh, I uh, don't ask me to say it again. Don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> that was uh, impressive. I hope that that's a triple word score on Scrabble. But <laughs> Uh, it's a very unique, very unusual movie. Uh, visually, it's some of those things that you see in like, like a Baz Luhrmann movie or okay. um, Wes Anderson. You know, where it's like stylized in a way. It's like, oh, this is this is like hyper realistic. Like, there's a cruise ship, and you're like, oh, it doesn't really look right. Oh, this cityscape doesn't look right, but it looks visually interesting. The thing that I will say is Emma Stone is phenomenal. Uh, when you play any kind of person that has any kind of mental challenge, you it can go a few ways. They talk about it uh, in Tropic Thunder. And I think <laughs> her character becomes more aware and becomes, you know, there's is always rough around the edges. But you do understand sort of where, and I, I think she's great. I'm just going to say, I was shocked at how much Emma Stone nudity was in this movie. I, I mean, wow. how much. There was so much in it. And I'm like, I like the first time I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, it's an art, it's an artsy movie. And she did it. And I'm like, 
Oh my gosh. And it's not like body double nudity, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, the Mr. Skin website is like, we need, we need to bring on new staff to clip all of the nudity from poor things. And I get wow. it. Mr. Skin's a busy guy. You know, he, he does to some people, he does the Lord's work. Uh, <laughs> other might feel like the work is uh, you know a little lower, but <laughs> right. um, it, it was distracting at first just because she's, I mean, she's Gwen Stacy for God's sake. You know, right. And I was like, I just wasn't expecting that. And um, but I think it's it's a great story. And uh, Willem Dafoe is phenomenal in it. But, you know, you, you know, is Willem Dafoe really weird in it? Yeah. But what movie isn't he? You know, right. Um, I, I think of your sort of like your typical Oscar fair. I think that's the movie that I feel like would have maybe the widest appeal, you know, uh, I was very critical of Oppenheimer because, and I assume you didn't see it because I read off all, all the best pictures and my, uh, I, to the extent that the episode we did of the black cast, by the way, I brought on a puppet named Tukey to come on and talk about it because I did? felt like that was, Oh yeah. Tukey came on. Yeah. The okay. Tukey. I got to go back and watch that. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to put it out there. And uh, we, you know, he hadn't seen it. Uh, the puppet lied to me, but that was all right. I think it helped the conversation. Um, and it's the my knock on Oppenheimer. Obviously, Christopher Nolan makes phenomenal movies, except for Tenet, yeah. and he's a great yeah. director, except for Tenet. But <laughs> uh, and you know the the cast is great. Killian Murphy's phenomenal. Like he, I don't know how he how long he worked to study the mannerisms of Robert Oppenheimer, but you take literally the most significant achievement in the history of the human race. And then there's a whole nother hour about government hearings and security clearances and things. And I'm like, Hey, how about the cool part? They say you need to see this movie on IMAX. Right. There's about 90 seconds you need to see on IMAX. Right. It's great. I saw it on yeah. regular screen. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is the part I would have liked to see on IMAX. So um, I think it's a great movie. But I was just like, man, there was a choice made in the pro the process that my buddy Will Sterling, who's a regular on this show, he often says that movies, TV, comics, everything, they, there needs to be the guy in the room is like, okay, hey, just one thing, you know, let, let me just put the other the other opinion out there. You know, Chris, Chris Nolan, you maybe like the bomb is the big part of the story. Right. And Robert Downey Jr. is phenomenal. Of course, he's phenomenal, but he's very different than we're used to seeing him, at least in recent years. You know, it's it, it, it's more in line of, you know, performances that he did like pre-Chaplin, like Lesson Zero and stuff like that. Okay. You know, you, wow. like he's yeah. he's not Tony Stark is what I'm trying to say, I guess. He's right. not Sherlock Holmes, but it's so I think it's it's great, but it's also like know, that ain't my favorite movie, you know? And yeah, I think the way the way it was sold. I mean, I think the reason why I didn't go see it because I, I was never. I never bought into the, oh, you have to see it on the screen like yeah. that. It it to me felt like it was overselling, which translates to it's not as good as everyone as it actually is. Yes. Know? And and I, I, I do feel like there are movies that are better experienced on the screen, but also our screens at home are so big these days that there's not as many. You know, look, the run times of some of these movies make right. it like, you know, Killers of Flower Moon. It's on Apple. It's three hours and 24 minutes. You'll enjoy it at home. It'll be fine. Right. It looks yeah. beautiful in the theater. I saw it in the theater, but it'll be fine to see it at home. And, you know, just uh, our final thought on this part of our conversation, but uh, Zach will be back with us next time. We'll go through some more movies is you were talking earlier about the runtimes 
And sometimes you see a movie and you go like, man, it just flew by. I know what the runtime is. And then you see Matt Reeves, the Batman that was two hours and 59 minutes. And I, I, in talking about it within the last year, that movie, I realized the problem is that that movie has a fourth act. You feel like the movie has ended. And then it's like, Oh wait, everybody's down at the, you know, Madison square garden or whatever they call it in Gotham, Gotham square garden. And it's like, there's yeah. a whole other story. I'm like, I was kind of done. This is still good. Paul Dano's great. But I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't even you know, save it for the sequel. So, but I think Batman note, does that. Go ahead, finish your thoughts. Sorry, I will just say that I think Batman has done. That's a playbook from earlier Batman movies. Uh, Batman, yeah. what is forever? Or uh, that's the that's the Val Kilmer one. Yeah, where it just kept going, and you're like, yeah. wait, but this should which, be done now. Which will will end this part of the conversation on my hottest take. I, I I tell this to people not because I try to shock and outrage, but because I feel it's true. To me, Val Kilmer is not the best Batman, but he is the best Bruce Wayne. He is the guy I feel like is Bruce Wayne. Uh, I, I thought that Christian Bale, I he's great as Batman, but I was just like, really? This guy's this guy's Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Michael Keaton, I, I thought, was great as Bruce Wayne. You know, I, I, I had no problem with it. And that was something that people thought going into that movie. It's a headshot of Zach Efron. Uh, Zach Efron, I believe I said his name. You uh, you glitched out for a second there. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry. But... Zach Efron. A twenty four put out a, a ter- uh, magazine on the Iron Claw, by the way, and it comes with uh, posters of the cast members as the wrestlers. So, oh, I, <laughs> I love I love every part of that, and uh, we'll get uh, more insight like that in our next conversation. Uh, for now, I just want to remind each and every one of you that if you enjoyed hearing him here on the Blackcast, you can also find him on the three podcasts we've mentioned that he's a part of. $2 Late Fee, as I mentioned, focuses on 80s movies. Territory Marks, about 80s wrestling. And Podcasting After Dark, which talks about sort of the midnight movies, the cult movies, horror and action movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. As for me... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ, a fact that Farad Muhammad will remind you about in a moment. And don't forget the show I co-host with the great Eric Zane every single Tuesday on the Who Are These Podcasts Network, the Who Are These Podcasts YouTube channel. Who are these broadcasters? You can watch live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And uh, that show we run through great clips of great moments in the world of broadcasting and a little programming note, check out the recent episode, which was from January 23rd, where we spent pretty much the entire show talking to legendary comedian, Jackie, the joke man, Martling best known for his, I believe it's 18 years as part of the Howard Stern show. So you can check that out and check out all of Zach's shows. Check out, all of my shows and whatever you do come back next week for more conversation between myself and Zach Schaefer, where we talk about more movies from 2023. Now that is going to be next time on the Blatcast. Thank you for listening to the Blatcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Blatcast. That's B L A D T C A S T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F A R D 
M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on the Bladcast. Welcome to the party, pal. Naughty. And in addition to that, uh, yesterday I was actually on the Bladcast with Christian Blatt, which was amazing. We talked all about Maestro um, and had a great time. Very good, yes. Um, you were praising that before we started the show today. You had a great time It was with, amazing. Uh, Christian Blatt. Check out the Bladcast. Check out Once Over with Kaylee. I almost said Lucy. Once Over with Kaylee, that's a YouTube channel that people should uh, definitely look at. Christian Blatt, I suspect, might be calling your mother, but not 100% from Who Are These Socials. I mean, he did tweet something. On Mother's Day, he tweeted something about moms, so I'm assuming that's what he meant, you know, obviously. So, you know, I would start looking into Christian Blatt. Blatt it. I don't know. Nobody knows how to say it. Nobody knows. But anyway, the Blattcast and Who Are These Socials. Sorry, the Blattcast. Who Are These Broadcasts? Who are these broadcasts? When Eric Zane and Christian Blatt are live on the same channel of who are these broadcasts? Broadcasts. Not who are these socials, as Cardiff said. Or broadcasts. No, I said broadcasts. Broadca- well, you also broadcasts. said socials, Yes. Who are these broadcasters? Is on this channel every broadcasts. Tuesday. It's the... Eye of the tiger, it's the thrill of the night, rising up to the challenge of arrival. The great Christian Blatt. Yes, go to the Blattcast and subscribe there, because I'm sure all of you are already subscribed to who are these podcasts. Mr. Blattcast is in the chat. Oh my God, it's Christian. Oh, Blattcast? Yeah. Uh, We got one gifted to Lesser Logic, one to the Blattcast. Can you please call Christian Blatt after this and explain to him (laughs) quality control? We're fighting for our right to live the world. Way we need to to exist in a festive world <laughs> and the Bladcast showing up my buddy christian hello i'm conrad bain what's the matter senor luigi you look a little nervous i'm very nervous no invite <laughs> who are you christian bland we're christian, you are you're a talker about, no, you're like the I worst broadcast I, uh, ever. well this has been the Bladcast. you can find me at christian dmz <laughs> You haven't heard Christian Blatt do it. The Blattcast. Thank you, Christian. How is it that Wendy is so much better at this than Stud Joe, Chad, and Kevin Brennan? Whoa! Hacka hackas. As pissed off as Vinny is at you, you should be at Christian Blatt and Eric Zane. Mousies? The Blattcast, 199. Thank you, Blattcast. Blattcast. The Blattcast is 100% right. The Bladfest. The Bladcast. The Bladcast. One of the best podcasts you can ever see, the Blackcast. Whoop de doo, we're watching it. We got no Wi Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Blackcast. Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500. Last time I checked. Totally forgot. I am doing the Blackcast tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. <laughs> that was not my fault. Tookie loves you all more than a friend. I love Tuki. Yay! <laughs> hacka hacka! I'm so excited! Try anything you cancel, bro. <laughs> what are bells? AMC Theatres. We make movies better. <laughs>